Good morning, Pennington. Uh, my name is Rachel. Good morning, I love that. Um, I serve on staff here at Pennington, um, often with worship. It was a joy to like get to sit in the seats. Uh, thank you for leading us, team. It was so fun. I loved getting to worship in the congregation. Um, and I am also on staff with InterVarsity at the College of New Jersey. Um, I'm really grateful uh, to be sharing from God's Word this morning. Um, I want to thank you, Pastor Brian, for trusting me with this. Um, but also, my parents are here today. Um, Mom and Dad, thank you for being here. I'm really grateful that you're here. I told myself I wouldn't cry. I'm not going to. Um, I love the book of Colossians. It is hands down my favorite book in scripture, like right along with Leviticus. Yeah, I like Leviticus. It's a good book. Um, here's why I love the book of Colossians. It reminds me of what Jesus has done for me. He has delivered me from the domain of darkness and transferred me into the kingdom of his beloved son. It reminds me that when I think that I need to prove myself and add on to this faith, bring in all of these other things, that the work of Jesus and the person of Jesus is sufficient. And it reminds me, a person who loves control, um, that it's okay that I am not in control, that Jesus is supreme and preeminent in all things, and that is a good thing because praise God that I am not. And so this morning, we're going to be in Colossians chapter 2, verses 6 to 23. This passage is so good, I've said this a lot of times this week, that I could just read it and go sit down. Like, that's how great this passage is. I am so excited for us to be in this text. But I believe that God has a word for us this morning and an invitation for us to come to him. So let's dive into God's word together with expectant hearts knowing that he'll meet us here. I'm going to read for us from Colossians 2, verses 6 to 23. And now, just as you accepted Christ Jesus as your Lord, you must continue to follow him. Let your roots grow down into him and let your lives be built on him. Then your faith will grow strong in the truth you were taught and you will overflow with thankfulness. Don't let anyone capture you with empty philosophies and high-sounding nonsense that comes from human thinking and from the spiritual powers of this world rather than from Christ. For in Christ lives all the fullness of God in the human body. So you are complete through your union with Christ who is the head over every ruler and authority. When you come to Christ, you are circumcised not by a physical procedure. Christ performed a spiritual circumcision, the cutting away of your sinful nature. For you were buried with Christ when you were baptized. And with him you were raised to new life because you trusted the mighty power of God who raised Christ from the dead. You were dead because of your sins and because of your sinful nature. It was not yet cut away. Then God made you alive with Christ, for he forgave all our sins. He canceled the record of the charges against us and took it away by nailing it to the cross. In this way, he disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities. He shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross. So don't let anyone condemn you for what you eat or drink or for not celebrating certain holy days or the new moon ceremonies or Sabbaths, for these rules are only shadows of the reality yet to come. And Christ himself is that reality. Don't let anyone condemn you by insisting on pious self-denial or the worship of angels, saying that they have had visions about these things. Their sinful minds have made them proud. And they are not connected to Christ, the head of the body. For he holds the body together with its joints and ligaments, and it grows as God nourishes it. You have died with Christ, and he has set you free from the spiritual powers of this world. So why do you keep on following the rules of the world, such as don't handle, don't taste, don't touch? 
Such rules are mere human teachings about the things that deteriorate as we use them. These rules may seem wise because they require strong devotion, pious self-denial, and severe bodily discipline. But they provide no help in conquering a person's evil desires. Let me pray for us. God, we ask that you would come and that you would speak to us here in this space. God, we need to hear from you. Um, we don't need to hear from me. And so, God, we ask that your, your word would, would come and speak to us, that it would do a work inside of us that wouldn't just end here in this space, God, but that it would transform our lives. Lord, we, we need to have an encounter with the living God. Would you open our hearts to come to you? And it's in your name that we pray, Jesus. Amen. So Colossians, uh, why Colossians? Paul is writing this as one of his prison epistles. He writes from a, a place of a tried and tested faith. If I was in prison, I would not be writing a letter to people encouraging them to believe in Jesus. I would be pretty angry about my situation. I would ask God why he allowed this. I ask God this now when I get silly things, which we'll find out about later. Um, but I wouldn't necessarily say, hey, Jesus is sufficient. Trust in his work. That's good stuff for you to believe in. But Paul writes this from a place of a tried and attested faith. He has seen who Jesus is, and he knows that he is good. But the Colossians, they're looking for this extra little thing to supplement their faith. They're looking for the one extra thing that they could do or a new revelation that they can get so that they can maybe try to have themselves be complete. But chapter 2 tells us that we are complete in Christ. I'm going to give us a fun little Bible nerd moment for those of you who enjoy that. Um, scripture is written differently than most texts. Um, what we grow up on is like the moral of the story is at the end, right? The story of the tortoise and the hare. Um, what is the moral? It's the slow and steady wins the race. There we go, right? Um, that's, that's where it is. It's found at the end of the story when the tortoise wins and the hare loses. But scripture is actually written with the main point being in the middle of the text that we read. And that's how I'm going to invite us to look at Colossians 2 today. There are four invitations that Paul gives us in this text. And the reality is that we are just like the Colossians, right? We're like waiting to get to that very last thing so that we can find that extra thing to supplement our faith, that one extra thing that, may, that can, we can do to make us stand right in front of God, that extra bit of biblical knowledge so that we can have the edge over everyone else. We're looking for the next thing that will make us enough. I want to be really honest with y'all. Um, preparing for this sermon, I was at Kohl's last night at 9.30, when there was lightning, and I was trying to find a new blouse, like a, a shirt to wear, because I didn't think that the one that I had was good enough. I was like, I gotta look nice, I'm preaching. Um, and I walk in there and I look at the clothes and I go, this is not good, this isn't gonna work. But I'm trying to make myself complete so that I would have the approval of man because you know I want it to be perfect, I want it to be complete. We're always looking for that next thing. We always think that we're missing something. And Jesus, in this chapter, invites us to look not to ourselves, not to what the world offers us, but to look to him as the one who makes us complete. And so as we go through these invitations, I want to invite us to see Jesus, to see his work on the cross, and to see that it is an all-sufficient work. It is okay that we are not enough because Jesus is enough. And I don't just say that as a cliche phrase. It's okay for us to not be enough. He is enough. His work is enough. 
And he invites us to stand in that. And so the first of these invitations that I want to bring us to is that we are invited to follow Jesus. What a good place for us to start. This is Colossians 2, verses 6 and 7. And now, just as you accepted Christ Jesus as your Lord, you must continue to follow him. Let your roots grow down into him and let your lives be built on him. Then your faith will grow strong in the truth that you were taught and you will overflow with thankfulness. Here, Paul invites us to a continued process of discipleship. What I grew up in is like this, yeah, you come to Jesus in this moment and then you like try to work, 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 work so that you can continue following him. But here, Paul is inviting us into this space to not look to ourselves or look what we can do. He's inviting us to look at Jesus. Uh, my grandfather, or my opogen, we grew up with speech competitions, right? Like we had to do a five-minute speech and it had to be great so you could beat all the other kids in your Sunday school class. And my grandfather was a pastor, so I would always ask him for help because, you know, that's the edge, right? Um, and I would go to him and he would point out, be like, Rachel, you don't have any transitions here. You should wor- use the word now. It tells people that you're ready to start and you're telling them to pay attention to you. And Paul starts off this saying, and now. You've accepted Jesus as Lord. Pay attention here. He is the master of your life. Now continue to follow him. Don't end at that point. Don't try to strive on your own. Follow him because he is enough. He reminds us from chapter one to continually remember what Christ has done for us. We looked at this In week one, he has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son. That is what God has done for us. And from that place of reminding us what God has done, he says, hey, remember who Christ is. From what we looked at last week, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers, all things were created by him and for him. We root ourselves in what our God has done for us, redeeming us and saving us, and we root ourselves in the person of Jesus. And then Paul says, hey, let your roots grow down into him, Know the character of our God. A lot of the fall, we spent our time in Matthew eleven twenty eight. 28. He is gentle and lowly. John, tells, John 10 tells us that Jesus is the good shepherd. He will provide for you and take care of you. John 1, 14, he is full of grace and truth. And Luke 4, 18, he is a champion of justice. This is who our God is. So root yourselves in his character. Let your lives be built on him. The bridge of build my life is one of those songs where our hands are up, we're we're like going for it. But why do we sing songs like that? They're anthems that remind us of what we're building on. We are building our lives on the word of God and the love that we have seen in the person of Jesus. And so friends, hold fast to scripture. Study this book because it reveals to us the character of our God. We won't know what this God looks like. Why are we serving him? We don't know who he is, what he's about, unless we get in the words of this text and see a God who is revealed to us, gentle and lowly, a good shepherd, full of grace and truth, a champion of justice. It shows us God's voice. 2 Timothy 3.16 tells us that all scripture is breathed out by God. This is God's word to us. 
And so what happens when we say yes to this invitation to follow Jesus? Our faith will grow strong in the truth that we were taught. But what is this truth? It is Christ. The truth that we were taught is not that, hey, you've got to do better. You've got to hold up and do more stuff. The truth that we were taught is not, hey, this, 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 and this doesn't work. The truth that we have been taught is the person of Jesus. In Pennington, this is why we lead people to Jesus. It's because we have tasted and we have seen that the character of our God is good. He is who he said that he will be. He will continue to be that God. And we invite others in Hopewell and Mercer County to, to come and see who this Jesus is. And then secondly, when we say yes to this invitation, we will overflow with thankfulness. We will begin to look less like ourselves and more and more like Jesus. And so friends, as we are invited to follow Jesus, we are also invited into freedom. As Paul is writing this letter to the Colossian church, they were struggling with false teachers in the church who were advocating for asceticism, um, self-discipline and avoidance of so many things um, for religious purposes. And they added on rule after rule, qualification after qualification for what it means to be a genuine follower of Jesus. Colossians 2, uh, verses 20 on, I want to read for us. You have died with Christ. And he has set you free from the spiritual powers of this world. So why do you keep on following the rules of the world, such as don't handle, don't taste, don't touch? Such rules are mere human teachings about things that deteriorate as we use them. These rules may seem wise because they require strong, strong devotion, pious self-denial, and severe bodily discipline, but they provide no help in conquering a person's evil desires. I don't know about y'all, but time and time again, I have come to Jesus, I've come to this altar space and been like, God, I did it again. The thing that I said I wasn't going to do, I did it again. And I, I laid out a plan. I had all these rules of things that I was going to follow. I was going to put this on my phone so I wouldn't use it and I could spend time in prayer. I was going to do this, do that. And, and I failed over and over again. We can easily fall into the trap of thinking that the more we do, the more we force ourselves to do or not do something, that we become more deserving of a relationship with Jesus. And friends, this, this couldn't be further from the truth. There's a reason why Paul starts off his admonition in chapter 2 with an invitation to continue to follow Jesus. Our freedom is not based on what we do or what we can produce. Rather, it is because we are followers of Christ. We are now children of God. We were once sons of disobedience, but now we are the children of the living God. Not what I do that will cause my parents to love me any more or any less. They love me because I am their daughter. I remember when I like would mess up when I was in middle school and I remember writing an email to my dad. I don't know if he remembers this, but I said, it's okay if you don't want me to be your daughter anymore. I messed up so bad, I understand. Uh, because I was like, man, how could I have done this? Like, how could I have disappointed my dad so much? Like, I really thought he wouldn't love me anymore. But my dad doesn't love me because I did X, Y, or Z. My dad loves me because I'm his daughter. I'm Rachel, his daughter. And that's why we are loved by Jesus, by our God who created and formed us. We are his children. And friends, maybe that hasn't been the experience that you've had with your earthly parents. 
Know that God invites us into a different kind of love, one that is unswerving, one that is unconditional, that one that we don't have to strive to earn. Our freedom is not because of what we have done, but because of what Jesus has done and because of what, who we are as his children. Paul continues to say that like all of these rules, they provide no help in conquering a person's evil desires. That's why we like set up all these rules for ourselves, right? Like we want to not be able to do, uh, we want to be freed from our sexual addiction or we want to be freed from uh, our not proper use of language or whatever it could be, our, our longing for money and things like that. We want to be free of these things. So we set up all these rules for ourselves. And in the end, they sometimes invite us more to step away from Jesus than actually following him. And so friends, if it doesn't help us say no to sin, and if it doesn't draw us closer to Jesus, it's not worth it. Jesus is worth it. He has set us free. He has paid the price for our sin. And so if he has set us free, then friends, we are invited to rest. The last time I spoke, I talked about my driving habits. Um, I like to drive very fast. And two weeks ago, I was pulled over for the first time ever. I was terrified. Um, I did a, I grew up in Philly, and so we do like a Philly stop. It's like you roll up at a stop sign and you go through. Um, and I was, I was terrified when this cop pulled me over. I was like, I know I'm going to get this ticket. And so I, I called my dad. Um, and, he's, and then the ticket came, all of that. He says, you have to go to court. You have to say you're not guilty. It's like, why? I'm guilty. <laughs> like, I, I don't know why I'm saying I'm not guilty. Um, but ever since that moment, I've been trying to justify all the different ways that I can like go stand before this judge and be like, I don't think you should give me this ticket or put points on my license. I can say, I didn't do it, I didn't see the stop sign, I'm from Philly, that's just how we do it. Um, but the thing that I wanna show them the most is like, I wanna be like, hey, look at my perfect driving record. Since I got my license eight years, I've had nothing. Never got pulled over for speeding. I never got a ticket, like nothing. I followed all the rules, well, not really, but I did it. Like no one caught me. I've been good all of this time. No mess ups. And sometimes that's how we come to Jesus. Whether it's the things that we did or the things that like, hey, God, I did all these things for you, so hey, maybe we can cover this over. But we're invited into rest. Colossians 2, verses 12 onwards. For you were buried with Christ when you were baptized, and with him you were raised to new life because you trusted the mighty power of God who raised Christ from the dead. You were dead because of your sins and because of your sinful nature that was not yet cut away. God made you alive with Christ. For he forgave all your sins. He canceled the record of the charges against us and he took it away by nailing it to the cross. In this way, he disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities. He shamed them publicly by his victory over them. For so many of us who have been in church so, so long, we approach God in the same way, like this ticket. We want to show God all of our credentials, the things that we've done well. I could say, hey, God, I've, I've led worship. I'm on staff with an varsity. I did all these things for you. Or we try to tell God all of the ways that we've tried to fight sin over and over again. We try to give God the record of our debt and tell him like, hey, I've done all these things so I can't come to you. I feel like we can't come stand before Jesus. Tell him the ways that we've been wrong. But friends, this is what's true for us. 
he has canceled the record of the charges against you. And he took it away by nailing it to the cross. He has canceled the record of the charges against me. And he took it away by nailing it to the cross. And so rather than presenting myself with all the things that I have done, whether they be good or bad, Jesus invites me to come and rest in what he has done. Rachel, what you will do will never amount to what God has done for you. He has canceled the record of your debt. He has delivered you. He has redeemed you and ransomed you and set you free. And so now you rest in that freedom. Friends, let's stop trying to show God all that we have done. He has already done the work. God made you alive with Christ. God forgave all of your sins, both the ones that you have done in the past, the ones that you did this morning on your way here, and the ones that you will do as long as you live. God has canceled the record of the charges that stood against us, and he took it away, nailing it to the cross. God disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities and shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross. Jesus is already victorious. I try to stand before God. I try to stand before this judge who's going to give me my ticket, and I'm going to say, hey, I, I can win. I can win this. I can do this. That's not what Jesus invites us to. Jesus has won, and we stand in his victory. We need not fight for our own because he has already won. The work we do will never be enough, but Jesus' work is an all-sufficient work. Isaiah 64, 6 says that our righteousness is like filthy rags. But we can bring all of us to the table and say, Jesus, here, this is, this is it. This is all I got. I can rest in what, I, what you have done. Um, it's easy for us to rest when we feel safe. Uh, my mom will not sleep or will not go upstairs until my brother and I, I'm 26, he's 18, until we're in bed. She cannot sleep. And that's, that's the kind of safety that Jesus invites us into. You're safe here. You can rest. You can rest in Christ. All that you're supposed to do is trust in the mighty power of God and rest in that. And as we rest in that, remember, friends, that you are invited into life. Colossians 2, uh, these two verses are some of my favorite verses in Scripture. You were dead because of your sins and because of your sinful nature. Then God made you alive with Christ and he forgave all our sins. He canceled the record of the charges against us and took it away by nailing it to the cross. Uh, Leonard Ravenhill said that Jesus didn't just come to make bad people better, but he came to make dead people alive. Friends, we were dead. We had no life. You, you, we couldn't be resuscitated if someone came and like put pads on us to bring us back. We had nothing. We were spiritually dead, separated from God. There was no way for us to come in. But Jesus came and died the death that we deserved. He, the very word of God, the one who spoke eternity into motion, he came and became the word that became flesh and dwelt among us so that we could have life, that we could be made alive. He forgave all of our sins. The record that was held against us is no more. 
Jesus died the death that we deserved and has now invited us into abundant life. The life that Jesus invites us to isn't tied to all the rules that we try to bring ourselves. It's not tied to what we're able to produce. It's not tied to anything else but his character. The life that Jesus invites us to is tied to one thing, and that is what he has done on the cross. Right there in that moment is when we are made alive, when Jesus said it is finished. Death no longer has power over us. Sin no longer has power over us because when Jesus said it is finished, it was done. He died our death so that we could now have life and life in abundance. I had nothing to bring to this Jesus. My righteousness would do nothing. The things that I have tried to do would amount to nothing. But what he has done on the cross has redeemed me and brought me life. I who was separated from God has now been, have now been brought in. And I've been given a seat at the table because of what Jesus has done. Friends, as we respond to these invitations that Jesus has given us, we can know that we have been made complete in Christ. All the missing pieces that we're looking for, we've been invited to be found whole in him. We've looked for other things, we've longed for our own righteousness, and nothing has cut it. Jesus and only Jesus can grant us the life that we're looking for. The completeness that we're looking for can only be found in Jesus. This is Colossians 2, verses 9 to 10. For in Christ lives all the fullness of God in a human body. And so you are complete through your union with Christ, who is the head over every ruler and every authority. It's not what we do that makes us complete. It is our union with Christ. The fullness of God is found in Jesus. And he invites us to find life in him. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. Friends, I want to invite us to spend the next few minutes in response. Um, on your seats, you'll find little white cards. Go ahead and grab those. The reality is that we often don't want to come to Jesus whether it's because we don't think that the list of things that we've done that are good enough will match up to what he wants, or we think that we've done too many bad things to ever come stand before him. I want to ask us the question, what keeps you from coming to Jesus? He invites you to find completeness in him, to say yes to him. Are we still just trying to give him a list of all the things that we've done right, trying to justify ourselves, Jesus invites us to come to him. I want to give us some time to reflect on what prevents us from coming to Jesus. If you're not yet a follower of Jesus in this room, and you want to respond to what God has done, you want to say, you know what, I want to say yes to that first invitation to follow Jesus. I want to invite you to write that on your card. Say, you know what, I'm going to say yes to I'm not going to let things hold me back from this anymore. And for those of us who are Christians in the room, 
I've let these same things keep me from coming to God in prayer, where I've just fought with my mom and say, God, I'm way too angry to even talk to you right now. I can't come into your presence. Or God, this, this sin that I did this week, like it's, it's too big. You can't handle that. And we let the same things keep us from coming to him. He invites us to come to him just as we are. That wasn't just an invitation for you when you first came to Jesus, but it's an invitation for you every day to come to him just as you are. So when you're ready, I'm going to invite us into this altar space. I believe that there's something that happens here in this space. When we say, God, you know what? I'm not going to let this hold me back from you anymore. I'm going to say yes to you. I'm going to step out in faith, knowing that you are a God who welcomes me. And invite us to lay our, our cards down, the things that we have allowed to keep us from knowing and following Jesus, to lay them down at the foot of the cross, and then to come get prayer. We're going to have um, people from our staff team and our elders here to pray over you and bless you. But as we come into this altar, here's what we are acknowledging. We are acknowledging that the finished work of Jesus on the cross has triumphed over all things. That he has indeed canceled the record of our debt. That Jesus has triumphed over every authority, every sin, every, every power. That he has won. Sin has no hold on us. Because we are held in his grace. I'm going to pray for us. And then I'm going to invite us to respond. And as the worship team leads us later on, we will uh, respond to Jesus. Let me pray. God, thank you that you didn't come just to make bad people better. That you came to make dead people alive. That you and only you could do that work. Thank you, Jesus, that you invite us to follow you, to find freedom from sin, from our own performance anxiety, from our own wanting to be all that we could be. That you invite us to find freedom in you and to find rest in you, to find rest in the work of Jesus on the cross. God, thank you that you invite us into life, life that is eternal, life that is abundant, life that is only found in you. God, we have searched all over. We've tried to bring all that we can to the table. And we found that it's not, it's not gonna cut it. You and only you can do this work. Thank you for making us complete in you, Jesus. Would you continue to meet us here? In your name that we pray. Amen. I'm gonna invite us to stand. And as you're ready, feel free to come up and lay down whatever you're carrying at the foot of the cross. We respond to Jesus.